Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. Um, While I'm remembering to say it, we, um, in addition to everyone who is physically in the room, we do have those that worship with us online, and we are, just to let you know, we're doing Lord's Supper today, and so um, however you want to prepare for that. This morning we are looking at Isaiah 38 and 39. Uh, this will be our last in this uh, in Isaiah for a little while. take shift from Isaiah to to the Gospel of Matthew and look at the Sermon on the Mount for the next few weeks. So um, this has been quite a journey in Isaiah 1 through 39. They are not, these are not chapters that are maybe as frequently preached and, and, and talked of. And so, um, and it's partly because they're hard passages. They're hard passages for us to deal with. And, but I, I believe that we need to hear the, the hard passages as well as those that um, are, are more, more chirpy, more the softer passages. In the, uh, I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever watched the old cowboy movies, westerns. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, you watch them in here in 2023 and they're, they're, they're a little bit problematic in a lot of ways. But, one thing I like about those old westerns was they kind of portrayed a simplified kind of life. So the good guys would wear white hats, and the bad guys wore black hats, and you knew who was who. <laughs> it was really clear. And, and there's an appeal to that, right? Just being really clear about that, and the movie goes... It's a little bit predictable, and, and movie making has shifted tremendously from that in today's age. But there was something comforting, kind of knowing the good guy would prevail at the end. But we would also recognize that the world is not like that. We are all a mix of good and bad. And I, I think if we're honest, we know this to be true about ourselves. We have to reconcile the fact that we can feel like we are good at one moment and then the very next realize that we are not good at all. Today we're going to be looking at the character of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah reveals in in just very obvious ways this complexity. And I believe it can be instructive for us. We can learn from who Hezekiah was. So we're going to look at this in three parts. 
Hezekiah as a man for God, Hezekiah as for himself, and Hezekiah as a man in need of God. A man for God. We might think of this in terms of a key question. What can I do for God? Hezekiah's track record was as one of the good kings. Uh, If you've read through um, Kings or Chronicles in the Old Testament, you see a long telling of the different kings that rose to to power in both Israel and uh, Judea. And more often than not, they were not good kings. Um, In fact, the king that was ruling when Isaiah began his ministry was Ahaz. About Ahaz, the Bible says this, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. As a leader, Hezekiah has been charged with leading his people to bow before God and no other. And part of bowing to God means life and obedience to him, trusting God in all circumstances, even when things look very bad. Ahaz did not do this, and we saw that unfold in chapters 7 through 12 of Isaiah. He invited the worship of false gods into his kingdom. He allowed injustice to persist. He deliberately chose to trust in his political affiliations rather than trust God. And as king, he not only led himself off course, but also led others off course. The Bible calls us to pray for our rulers And I think there are many reasons for this, but I I think one of them is that our rulers do carry an incredible burden, not only for themselves, but the, the way in which they lead affects the lives of so many and can affect them spiritually. The decisions they make, the things they do and say, they can point people to the God of creation or they can move them away from the God of creation. So this was not only true for Ahaz, but it's true for you as well. No matter who you are, you have an opportunity to lead and influence others spiritually. Whether in school or in work, or in your neighborhood, or in your family, you have an opportunity to be a leader, to be a model, to point others to the God of creation. Second Kings 18 describes for us Hezekiah. This is in contrast to Ahaz, who did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 2 Kings 18, starting in verse 3, I'll read. 
says, and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Syria and would not serve him. That's quite a paragraph. I I would imagine that if that paragraph could be said of you, you would be like, yeah, I did it. I mean, he has an amazing resume. And this was against him. His own father led people away from the Lord and Hezekiah coming to reign at the age of 25 intentionally removed idols from the high places, cleansed the temple, reinstituted the priesthood. He brought Passover back into remembrance. He even, I think this is kind of cool, he built a 1,750-foot-long tunnel and was kind of up high. And so if, if uh, an, an enemy army laid siege to the city, they had a problem. They couldn't get water. And so he built this tunnel that brought springs, spring water into the city of Jerusalem, a secret tunnel, so that the enemies didn't know about it. Uh, that's amazing. Um, he single-handedly, because of his role as leader, had redirected the people of Judea back to worship of God. That's, that's fantastic. At this point, Hezekiah is wearing the white cowboy hat. If only it had stayed that way. A man for himself. Hezekiah did so much good by reestablishing true worship and righteous living in Jerusalem and Judea, Judah. It might have been on the lips of some wondering if Hezekiah was in fact maybe, just maybe, the one. The one spoken of. The one born to be king, the one who would correct all that was wrong, the anointed one, the Messiah. It had to be on people's minds that he might be the one. But soon we see that Hezekiah is, in fact, no Messiah. It's because he's far far too much like you and me. And so at the age of 39, Hezekiah was afflicted with an illness 
and Isaiah gets to deliver the bad news. It says, get your house in order, you're going to die. That's the paraphrase. I had a friend who was just telling me he went to the doctor. doctor sat him down and said, I've got some bad news for you. And you know, when a doctor tells you that, suddenly just things start tumbling through your head, like, what is he about to say? And what he is about, the doctor actually said, the bad news is we don't know exactly what's wrong with you. He's like, do not start that way. <laughs> In this case, the message was clear. It was bad news. Death awaits Hezekiah. And one can understand Hezekiah's perspective. He was, he was not like the other kings. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah called people back to worship God. He even brought a sense of peace in the kingdom. Surely God would not take Hezekiah so early, would he? We see in chapter 38 that Hezekiah is pondering death as he understood it. And then we have this long prayer of lament. Let me read a few verses of it. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol. Sheol is what they called this place where you would go when you die. He said, I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living, I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Hezekiah is struggling with this, what, what I think he's considering a premature end to his life. And at this stage, God's people had not fully understood the nature of hell. But even from Hezekiah's limited view of death as the final stop, the idea of death still brings anguish and despair. And you can hear it in his lament. And then God answers. God delivers word through Isaiah that Hezekiah would be given 15 more years of life because God is a God of mercy. God even gave a sign of what he was going to do by reversing the sun's direction, indicated by a shadow moving up these steps. They did not have watches in those days. So shadows it was for telling time. This was truly a miracle. God granted 15 bonus years. He was going to die, and God changed his year of death. Uh, just for a moment, it's worth pausing. They, they, they use... In this case, God used a sign of this, 
the, the son going back to show that he would indeed deliver on his promise of 15 more years of life. And I think sometimes when we, we think about miracles, we get fixated on the miracle itself. Uh, but miracles, most often in the Bible, are actually signs. They're, they're intended to point us to something. If, you know, I see a sign for KL, it doesn't mean I'm in KL. It actually means I'm still not in KL. I'm going to KL, right? And so when we see miracles, we need to be looking for what those miracles are pointing us to or who they are pointing us to. So Hezekiah is given 15 years of life, extra life. But the way he asked gives us a hint of something off in Hezekiah's understanding. In verse 38, 3, 30, chapter 38, verse 3, it says, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done good in your sight. Hezekiah is saying, see what I've done for you, God? God, you owe me. I've done some good stuff. And this is how the world thinks, right? This is how we think quite often. Our neighbors in Chiras, they demonstrate this thing. If we give them some food, they give us more food. If we give them something at Chinese New Year, they give us a bigger something at Christmas. We cannot outdo them. And, we, and you know that there's some calculating. It's not just out of the generosity of their own heart. It's calculated, right? We cannot be in debt. Hezekiah did good for God. Now it's God's turn to pay up. How often do we think in these terms? That we have done something for God and now it is time for God now to return back what we have done for him. We get to the final chapter, chapter 39, the final chapter in this section. And we see what feels like an odd account. And just to give you a little bit of history, I know this may not be everyone's favorite thing, but it, you won't understand the passage if you don't get this. So it was the Assyrian Empire that threatened Jerusalem. Assyrian Empire. And now we see a new nation entering the scene. Merodach Baladan from Babylon. He sends a, an official envoy to visit Jerusalem. And this may seem innocent. In fact, Babylon and Jerusalem were allies at this stage. They, were both, they both had a common enemy, which was the Assyrians. News may have reached Babylon about Jerusalem standing strong after attack from Assyria. Last week, we heard Lee talk, walk us through chapters 36 and 37 of Isaiah. 
telling us about God's miraculous work of saving Jerusalem from the Assyrians. 185,000 strong army wiped out without a scratch on Jerusalem. It, it was a miracle worth checking out, worth seeing. So Hezekiah welcomes the Babylonians. But then he shows them the treasures of Jerusalem, their food stores, their armory, as if, as if these things were the key to beating the Assyrians. They were not. It was purely an act of God that Assyria was not able to conquer Jerusalem. It was purely the mercy of God on the city of Jerusalem. It was not because they had been better. They had done something right. It was not because the stores were superior. It was not because their armory was so impressive. None of those things were true. And so when Hezekiah shows the Babylonians their, all of the secrets of the kingdom, it was an act of pride. He had forgotten that it was God who delivered him. Isaiah gets word of what happened and tells Hezekiah that it was a terrible thing that he had done and that one will rise as an imperial power and will capture Jerusalem. That they will take the treasure and capture the people, including Hezekiah's own descendants. Hezekiah's response had to have been so terribly disappointing for Isaiah to hear. So it says, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. He was selfish, and prideful. Hezekiah was no longer a king in service of God. He was a king in service of himself. How quickly we can switch. How quickly we can say, oh, I will serve God forever. We sing songs. I could sing of God's love forever. And then the next moment, act out of selfishness or pride. The key question that I think is operating here, and this is a little bit confusing, is what can God do for me? I'm not saying we should ask that question. In fact, we should not be asking that question. But it is the mindset. The mindset switched from how can I serve God to what can God do for me? The best interests of the kingdom no, matter, no longer matter. Serving for the glory of God is no longer Hezekiah's aim. He now serves himself. He cares more about his own life and legacy. Sadly, a legacy tarnished because he cares so much about his own legacy. A man in need of God. Less than a month ago, January 17, I believe, 
We all need the workout. Uh, less than a month ago, there was a plane crash in Nepal. You probably saw uh, some news about it. It's Yeti Airlines flying from Kathmandu to Pokhara. 68 people went to their death in that plane crash. Among those who perished in that crash were two pastors. A friend of mine, a Malaysian, who went to Nepal years ago as a missionary, had mentored these two men in their pastoring. One of them he discipled, even brought into his home as a young man. He was telling me about one of the, the, the one that he brought into his home. Uh, he went to Nepal in the aftermath of this crash to, to try to minister to the family. This young man uh, who became a pastor, he was a troubled teen, sought to end his life, feeling like he could measure up to expectations that were on him. And in the midst of that time, he met Jesus. And Jesus removed the burden that were, were weighing so heavy on him. And since he had been transformed by Jesus, he helped uh, start a new church and pastor it. He married a Christian young woman, and they had a baby together. And the young pastor showed great promise for God's kingdom, was doing great work in the city of Pokhara. And yet, death stole him to earth. It was the young pastor's wife, now widow, who gave my Malaysian friend perspective on this tragedy. She said she knew something was going to happen. The Lord had led them to study the book of Job together. I, I, my thought after hearing that was, I'm, I don't want to read Job anytime soon. <laughs> and there you have it, my selfishness revealed, right? <laughs> Um, so they had been reading from the book of Job, and the Lord had just been teaching them about suffering and who God was, that God loved us in the midst of even the hardest and darkest things. So there are a few things that, that she then shared with my, my friend, who is a seasoned pastor, longtime pastor and missionary. So her... Her reminders were this. One, God is God, and that our perspective is far too small to understand what he is doing. That maybe things don't always make sense to us, but they work in God's greater work. Secondly, God had shown her family incredible love through all of this. That she had a peace in the midst of what would normally be just grief beyond our ability to bear it. God had ministered to her. And three, that God was going to use this tragedy for beauty. Her word to the Malaysian missionary was to trust God no matter what. My friend thought he was going to Nepal to try and encourage the widow, and the widow instead encouraged my friend.
As you may know, Nepal is, not, is, is a majority Hindu nation, and the church there is growing faster than just about any country in the world. Uh, so much so that they actually just a few years ago created a law making it illegal to share the gospel in, in public there. And Christians in general were given a low status in the nation. Yet this young pastor was also a musician and, and um, producer, music producer. And so he was actually quite well known throughout the country. And so they had planned a simple funeral in a small church designed to hold 60 people. They had 2,000 people there, including top government officials, in which they all heard the gospel shared very clearly. Up until this time, the churches were isolated and didn't collaborate with one another, and now pastors across the city of Pokhara were coming together to help this young widow and her family, but also to begin to pray together and serve the city together. A young man's life was taken, but his death was used to share the good news of truth to many, many people. To the world, this young Nepali pastor was just a tragedy. To God, this pastor was a life poured out for his glory. So how does God enable me for new life in God? Hezekiah showed shows an awareness that his own life was not in his hands. So in his lament about death, he does actually reveal that he understands something more to this. Life is a gift. Each breath you take is God showing you mercy. I want to draw attention to two verses in chapter 38. First, verse 17 says this, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Scripture, throughout Scripture, when you see the word but, it's, 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 it's like a change of directions. You This, 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 but, and man, this is a good one. In love, you have delivered my life. Even though pride and selfishness had gotten the best of Hezekiah, he still recognized that he was ultimately in God's hands. Hezekiah was not spared because of his own great deeds or because he was so necessary to God's Good God's work to be accomplished? No. Verse 17 says it clearly. In love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. Isaiah is a certainty that can only be delayed by God. And Hezekiah knows that it is his sin that leads him to death. How is it that God can cast all of Hezekiah's sins away? In love, God made a way. God sent the Messiah, who we know as Jesus, who would be the one to remove sin forever, 
You see, when, when Hezekiah was 39, facing death, the death that he knows he deserves, he pleads for more life. But when Jesus was 33 and was facing death that he did not deserve because he knew no sin, he faced death and took it. Instead of seeking his own life, he died so that others may live. Instead of seeking his own peace, he went to the cross to bring the peace of God to those who are troubled. Hezekiah was one of Israel's better kings. And yet all of his good was mixed with pride and selfishness. His own glory got in the way of God's rightful glory. Hezekiah was no match for Jesus. Jesus gave his life so that God's love might be displayed marvelously. In chapter 38, verse 20, it says, The Lord will save me. He will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives, the house of the Lord. The Lord will save you too. Bow before him. Put your pride and selfishness aside. Let Jesus work a miracle in your life and let it be a sign to others. His deep love will cast away your sins. So what about you? Are you bent on trying to make your own life longer or wealthier or more important or more meaningful? Hezekiah came to believe he was God's greatest asset. Instead, we might better think of ourselves as strangers on a street invited to join the great royal feast. And it's all because Jesus paid our way. Will you pray with me? God, we, um, we are grateful for the ways in which King Hezekiah served you. The way he redirected uh, people to worship you his earnest desire to tear down the idols, to cleanse the temple, to remember your great work in delivering, delivering your people out of slavery in Egypt. And yet, God, we see in Hezekiah what we see in ourselves a tendency to, towards selfishness and pride, a tendency to care more about our own situation than the others, others around us and even you, God. And yet, God, we're reminded that because of your great love that you have made a way to cast our sin far away that you indeed, God, are our Savior. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. We thank you that you give us life in Jesus. We thank you that today we can enjoy peace because you have 
taken the burden of sin upon yourself. We thank you for the way that you have ministered in this widow's life in Nepal. God, I pray that you would continue to bring comfort to her and her family and to the family of the other pastor. God, we pray that you would bring comfort to those that are hurting around the world. But you would also give them faith to see you, God, have something bigger in store. Father, I pray that you would give us the eyes the same thing, that you would give us eyes to see that there is something bigger in store and that we would live fully surrendered to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.